Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I'm your host, Stephen Peinecker, and I want to thank a special guest for coming. Folks, he, came from, he was in Idaho yesterday, and now he is in the greater Tampa Bay area. Brian Stutzman, welcome to my program. Steve, nice to be here. So, one of the most interesting things about uh, you is that you are somebody who's actually done groundbreaking research. And I really respect that. My channel is about not, you know, trying to retread over things, but to actually contribute to the conversation within the restoration. And you wrote this fantastic book called The History of Warsaw, Illinois, including the Mormon period. And this is your second edition that came out in 2018, correct? Yeah. And uh, so, folks, uh, I'm going to kind of give you a mini-review of the book uh, later on, if, if the conversation permits it. Uh, but I'm just going to get in on the interview here. Um, First of all, what made you interested in Warsaw, Illinois? I was kind of like walking down the trail of Mormon history and I kicked a rock that had not been turned over. Um, so a little bit of background, I, I really fell in love with, with Mormon history. I was working in Washington, D.C. I was involved in politics and uh, I was coming home for the holidays and my dad was traveling with me. I was young and single and we stopped in Nauvoo and I'd been in Nauvoo, Carthage quite a bit, like most probably reviewers. And I fell in love with Hancock County and I decided then that as we, I got married and had children, I was gonna take each one on their personal church history trip. We got to uh, son number three, he was in high school, I wanted him to have a church history trip experience kind of like I had had when I was younger. And we were leaving Carthage Jail a little bit ahead of schedule. And uh, if, for your viewers that are familiar, um, about 15 miles south, 13 miles south of Nauvoo is uh, right on the river, a little town called Hamilton. We're going from Carthage to Hamilton over to Keokuk by the bridge there. And there's this little green and white sign that said Warsaw. You know, I think it was four or five miles south. You have to turn down this uh, industrial road. They, they made it a little bit better recently. And, and I got down to Warsaw. And the first thought I had is, well, I kind of remember something about Warsaw. I think... There was this guy named Thomas Sharp, this newspaper, I think there was something about a mob, but I, I didn't know too much. And we drive around Warsaw and, and, and I just kind of felt a connection to it. And so I get out of the car and I re we were just there last month speaking to the Historical Society and I Google History of Warsaw, Illinois and there was none. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, there's certainly gotta be something. I found a chapter in Thomas uh, Gregg's 1880 edition of Hancock County, History of Hancock County, and a few little articles here and a, a story here or there, but no history. And so I just felt compelled to do it. And I was at a place in my life professionally and with our businesses and real estate that I had to, the time. And, and so I just delved uh, head first into it, spent four years and uh, you know, I love Mormon history, and I love uh, the town of Warsaw, and I made a lot of money off my book. Two out of the three are true. <laughs> you guess which one's not true? Okay, I've, I got about $30,000 into it. Actually, I'm going to do a follow-up to what you just said. So you spent four years doing this research. So you set aside like your business dealings, you work in, of course, you're primarily involved in real estate, correct? Uh, I, tell, I, I started telecommunication company about 25 years ago and so I just kind of told my employees to kind of run it and, okay. and, and things like that. So it, it was a lot of fun. What was amazing to me is, you know, you go to Nauvoo and there's probably a thousand books. You know, Flanders had a great book, Bruce Flanders, uh, Kingdom on the Mississippi. There's a lot. Dallin Oaks just did a phenomenal 
groundbreaking research on Carthage. And so it, Nauvoo, Carthage, and Warsaw, they're 18 miles apart. I couldn't believe none of the people in the historical community had done a deep dive into Warsaw. It just isn't there. Hmm. And so that's why I felt compelled. I, I couldn't write about Carthage. I couldn't come up with anything new. Nobody could. You know, well, not much, but and Nauvoo. But, but uh, Warsaw was just really a fascinating. There's so many things. Uh, the, the conversion of the great missionary Dan Jones was tied to Warsaw. Um, the unsung hero at the trial, most people don't know a Mormon testified at the trial, Eliza J. Jane Graham. Um, Orrin Porter Rockwell's first confirmed kill had ties to Warsaw. The Mormon gun singer legend, O.P. Rockwell. There's, Warsaw plays a huge part in the Nauvoo period, both good and bad. The mob, of course, that stormed Carthage Shell, two of the three regiments were from Warsaw. The third one was from Green Plains nearby. So, so there's a lot of Mormon history. I just couldn't believe it hadn't been thoroughly researched yeah. and written. And so, and that is interesting, like this is this black hole of information. So you have the Mormon triangle, but it's not really a complete triangle <laughs> until you wrote this book. And so just talk a little bit about going and engaging the community and the people of Warsaw. Okay. And talk about some of your experiences with that. Well, what's really interesting is that, you know, it was obviously really hostile. In 1841, at least, um, they formed, uh, the locals formed the Anti-Mormon Political Party. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Would that fly today if we had the anti-Brainton, Florida political party, you know, or or anti-Baptist political party? No. So, um, but after the martyrdom, the gold rush hit. And a lot of people exited Warsaw, uh, the area of Keokuk, their their newspaper is called the Daily Gate. And it was a gateway city just a few miles up to California for the gold rush. So it kind of flushed out, new people came in, a lot of uh, immigrants from uh, uh, Switzerland and Germany and England came and filled the gap of these people moving to California in 1849. In fact, Mark Aldridge went to California and then out to um, uh, he was the mayor of Tucson, Arizona. He was one who stood trial for the murder. Right. He was, but, but they all kind of vacated and left. And so uh, the city kind of flushed out, new people came in. And then um, Warsaw had a big boom about 1850s, 1860s, and then things on the river changed. And we've got to talk about the river sometime today. Yes. Um, but it, it started to decline. And the decline started... Uh, in earnest when the Keokuk Dam was built in 1913. Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. Mormon prophet murdered. Okay, you, you, you connect, you can, yeah, it, it's desolate. But the, the, so it went downhill and then um, they built a road called the New Road. They call it the New Road today, it's 1962. Okay. It's a Warsaw Road that's a, a shortcut to Keokuk, okay? Mm-hmm. And Warsaw became a bedroom community. It was economics, in, in economic stagnation, and then most of the people that live in Warsaw today have a connection to Keokuk. They either work there or are involved somehow. So it's a bedroom community. New people, um, they sit there, they have no ties, they're, they're really good people. They're probably some of the best, most friendly people on, that I encountered. And dinners fed me, you know, took me out on the river multiple times in boats. But they're curious of why somebody from Idaho is writing the history of their town. And they like my book so much, they actually give it away to people who move in. 
And I've talked to people, and they say, yeah, we moved here three, three years ago, and the city gave me a, a copy of your book, or my neighbors gave me a copy of your book. You're the guy that wrote that. Hmm. What's your tie? And the other part of it is, they sit there, and they've got a great little history. It started before the Nauvoo period for our church, and they're wondering why two to 300,000 people from Utah and California, whatever, come to Nauvoo and come to Carthage, but they don't stop at Warsaw because they think they've got an important story to tell, and they do. Yeah. And so a little, the, the, the reception was a little, why are you doing this? And okay, we like it because we believe our story should be told too. Mm -hmm. And generally the people are friendly. They don't know a lot about their own history. Mm -hmm. Their most famous son, and I have a whole bit of it, is John Hayes in my book. Mm -hmm. whole, whole, a whole bunch of information. And on the lamppost in Warsaw is hometown of John Hay. And a lot of locals, they really don't know their own history. They don't know who John Hay is. I said, well, read my book and I'll tell you all about John Hay. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to John Hay and the review that was given about you uh, later on. Um, so since we're in modern uh, Warsaw and we're talking about that period, I just want you to talk about briefly about Dr. Isaac Galland? Galland. Galland. Okay. Hugely important. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've always found it interesting that, you know, the church was, you know, organized at the Whitmer Farm in New York. And then in 1830, April 6th, most viewers you, you know, would be familiar with that. They moved west to Kirtland in 1831. And then they moved west to you know, Independence in 1831 as well. And then they kind of you know, move around a little bit, have some tr local troubles, and they end up in far west. And then when the extermination order is given, why didn't they continue to move west? Mm -hmm. West, west, west. And they go east, back into Quincy, and then up to what we know now is Nauvoo, Commerce, Hotchkiss. Why? And it, it's because Dr. Isaac Gallen. Now, Gallen was a medical doctor, and he was living across from where Nauvoo is today in, in Montrose. And he had been married, he, he lost three wives. And he was a single guy, he was in his 40s, and he started Iowa's first school. And then in the 1830s, there was this Black Hawk War. And uh, Jefferson Davis, Abraham Lincoln, they were all chasing around Black Hawk just a little bit outside the Nauvoo area. And there was this military fort in what became Warsaw. And so this guy named John Wilcox had gone to West Point. He was a commandant of the Fort Edwards, which became Warsaw. And, and during these Indian troubles, Gallen comes over from Montrose, and he, by the way, helped lay out Keokuk. And he comes to the fort, and he marries John Wilcox's little sister, Elizabeth. He was in his 40s, Dr. Gallen was, and um, she was 24. It was very common for people, older men, to marry people. The legal age to get married in Illinois at the time, guess. 14? 13. Wow. It was a different society, different culture. Mm -hmm. So Gallen. Um, he's a land speculator, and there is a military tract of land called the Bounty Tract. In the War of 1812, it ended in 1814, and the United States government owed, owed soldiers money, and they didn't have it, but they had land. So there's about 3.5 million acres outside of Nauvoo called, there was three b b Bounty Tracts, but this one... Um, 
was given to, 160 acres was given to soldiers who fought in the War of 1812, and a lot of them didn't want the land. And so land speculators like Dr. Isaac Gallen bought a whole bunch of land in the Nauvoo area for pennies on the dollar. And on the Montrose side, which became Zarahemla, the Zarahemla stake, he bought land from, it's, it's not really politically correct today, but it was called the half-breed track. Explain what the half-breed if track you, is. If you had a parent that was a Native American and one parent that was white, you were considered a half-breed. Now, again, it doesn't sound politically correct, but that's what it was called. And those people didn't want the land either. They were given land. So Isaac Gallen had land that he had almost nothing into, both in Montrose on one side and Nauvoo on the other side. And he heard about the Mormon people. I heard that Joseph Smith was in the Liberty Jail. And he wrote to him. He says, I've got a deal for you. I'm paraphrasing. I don't need any money down. And I can give you these lands on generous terms. He paid me over 20 years. And that appealed. And that's why the Saints didn't go further west. They came back into uh, to Quincy and then up the river to past Warsaw and then up to um, the Nauvoo, what, what became the Nauvoo era, area. And so when Joseph escaped, is allowed to escape from um, uh, Liberty Jail, he comes across, meets the saints in Quincy and up to Nauvoo. And Isaac Allen gets baptized and becomes a member of the church and goes on a mission. Now, I told you that he married John Wilcox's sister, Elizabeth. John Wilcox, in 1837, loses his first wife, Mary. She dies. And he marries, again, an older man, 17-year-old Hannah Hardy. Very common older men marrying young women in that. So then Wilcox dies in 1838 or 39. 1839. Well, his, he's very wealthy. He stays around after the fort. So you've got this young, beautiful, rich Hannah Hardy Wilcox, lots of land, a widow. In comes Thomas Sharp, this newspaper editor. He's 22 years old when he gets to uh, Warsaw in 1840. Is it Thomas Sharp? Thomas Sharp, the newspaper editor, 1840. In 1842, he marries Hannah Hardy Wilcox. Okay. He, he wasn't making it in the newspaper business, and he went out to farm. He marries money, marries the richest widow in the county, and then he can go back into the newspaper business where he bashes the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints continuously, insistently. But the connection here is, is Thomas Sharp is married to Hannah, who, through marriage to Wilcox, Mormon missionary Isaac Gallant. So their brother-in-laws, Mormon missionary Isaac Gallen, and newspaper editor who stood trial for the murders of Joseph Smith, that the charge wasn't actually murder, they're brother-in-laws. And their kids are cousins. And Sharp's kids come and actually are raised, some of them, by the Gallens over in Keokuk. Imagine, we just had Thanksgiving. Imagine Thanksgiving dinner, Mormon missionary and man who stood trial for the murder of your prophet together. Wow. So that, and that story was really hard to find. It's not really the, the history books that I found. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's got Gallon's connection yeah. here. And it's fascinating. So now you're into real estate, so I just have a quick question for you. How legit were those claims? That, like they say that there might have been a little hanky-panky with some oh, of those yeah. claims. Oh, definitely in the, in the uh, half-breed track. That was challenged, and he went to court, and that was a long, drawn-out process. The Mormons bought in good faith. Mm -hmm. 
Galen had more of a claim to the lands in Nauvoo. Those were legitimate, and it was questioned who really owned the land that Galen sold in the uh, half-breed tract. And I cover that in my book. So let's just talk a little bit. I mean, obviously, when we talk about Warsaw and we talk about um, what it represents, the people that lived there at the time, and probably the most infamous character that we have to talk about is Thomas Sharp. Um, why, in your opinion, did he go hate on the Mormons so much? Okay. Well, it wasn't always that way. Yeah. Um, at the founding, uh, the, the, the cornerstone of the, of the laying of the cornerstone of the Nauvoo Temple, Joseph Smith invites some dignitaries, and one of them was Chief Keokuk from the town of Keokuk, and they sit at the head table, and the other one, one of them was Thomas Sharp, this 20, 22-year-old newspaper editor. And at first, Thomas Sharp was kind of impressed and there's some speculation of what really turned Thomas Sharp against the church. And the, the main thinking is that he saw the political and economic and social and religious power of this competing city 18 miles up the river. And some have speculated he did it to sell newspapers. National Enquirer approach. Mm -hmm scandals, um, negative, um, what is the term, yellow journalism, that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, some have speculated he was, he was actually fearful because, like I said, in 1841, they started the anti-Mormon political, uh, anti -Mormon political party. Most people don't know this. In 1842, Thomas Sharp ran for a seat in the state legislature and lost to the prophet's brother, William Smith. And then in 1844, Thomas Sharp thought about running for the United States Senate. And while Joseph Smith was running for president, Hiram Smith had considered running for the same Senate seat. And Thomas Sharp withdrew his, any interest because he knew he couldn't beat Hiram Smith locally because of the, the number of votes. So a lot of people speculated, you know, whether, whether it's economic, political. They also, the people of Warsaw at the time had a, had a problem. They were kind of this, this Andrew Jackson, this Jacksonian political thinking, uh, independence, uh, you, know, you know, believe it or not, freedom, but, but control locally. And then they looked up the river and they saw this man, most of them didn't know, they'd never met, this man named Joseph Smith, who was not only a prophet of the church, when William ben, uh, John Bennett, John C. Bennett, uh, was excommunicated, he became the mayor of the town. Um, he was kind of the head of the court system, head of the militia. And some people, and Thomas Sharp would write about this, Joseph Smith's got too much power. What does it matter? You're living 18 miles away and there's not a lot of roads. You're not really connected. But they felt threatened some and, and they despised. Uh, Joseph Smith wrote in his journal that, I, I'm paraphrasing, that he feels that Thomas Sharp just you know, essentially stalked him. All he did was, was write about the church and Joseph Smith specifically, they had, he had a grudge against Joseph. Specifically, and that's uh, you know later on when Joseph and, and Hiram and his group leave Nauvoo before the martyrdom, and they go across the Montrose, and the famous letter comes and says, "Yeah, why, don't you, why are you batting us?" Joseph and his group actually thought that if they left, the ire of his enemies, Thomas Sharp types of the world, would go with Joseph, and the saints could stay in Nauvoo unmolested. But 
that didn't happen eventually. The, the battle of Thomas Sharp was there for that. Um, Thomas Sharp stood trial. The whole nine yards. Yeah, so it's so interesting because you talked about how um, it was within the Jacksonian context. This idea that there was essentially this city that was in and of belonged to itself. They had their own writ of habeas corpus. Uh, you had mentioned in the book how like thieves and other criminals would take advantage of the court system in Nauvoo. And so, can you see? as how outsiders would look at that setup and yeah. maybe have resent that they could have some maybe legitimate concerns or resentments of, on some level they could here's the thing they treated other americans un, un american like you know mm -hmm. we have from the beginning of the constitution the bill of rights every american has a certain inalienable rights they were Americans trying to take other Americans rights away for exercising their right to worship and to gather and all the things that we have in the Bill of Rights so maybe they were threatened but today if, if a group tried to do that to another religious group in the United States it wouldn't, they wouldn't get away with it. Of course, we didn't have the, you know, what is it? Is it the 14th Amendment that federalized the laws down? And, and, yeah, and, and, and things like that. But it was pretty much un-American for one group of Americans to beat up on another group of Americans, okay. regardless of the cause, you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the fear. In fact, at one time, the church offered the people in Warsaw that would buy your land. Mm -hmm. If you don't like being our neighbors, We'll buy your land at market rates. And nobody took it up. I, I believe that was in 1843, 1844. Mm. Um, yeah, so the, I mean, I guess at that point, by 1843, the, the well had been so poisoned at that point, yeah, they yeah. wouldn't want to trust. I mean, Thomas Sharp had this newspaper going. It changed names. It was a Western world. And then Warsaw Signal, and he got in and out of the newspaper business a little bit. But um, he would basically publish anything whether it was true or not. And, and if people got disaffected in Nauvoo with the church, they'd run down to, to Warsaw. Uh, John Bennett had some things published in the newspaper. Um, later on, near the martyrdom, when, when the expositor was, was, was written, um, you know, Laws and Fosters, they ran down to Warsaw and, and and Thomas Sharp immediately published what had happened with Expositor. And then underneath the explanation, I think it was Foster, that one of the Foster brothers, Charles Foster, that, that printed this tirade against Joseph. And, and look what happened to our, to, to our press up there, even though the, our church had had its own press destroyed in, in Missouri and nobody really said anything, okay? And presses up and down the Mississippi River had been destroyed, several. And so we sit here and we have the Nauvoo Expositor destroyed, and they thought they were within the law. They looked up case law, and, and the city council voted. There's some debate that way, but they actually honestly thought that they had the right to, to stop the press for defamation and libel and those types of things. And so what happened is Foster comes down to Thomas Sharp, publishes it, and then right underneath that, that letter, Thomas Sharp writes, if you see the Warsaw newspaper, it says, you know, basically, you know, we can't stand by, you know, now's the time to make our feelings known. Actually, there's no time to make our feelings known except to make it known by powder and ball. And that's the, probably the most famous quote out of, from Thomas Sharp in the Warsaw newspaper. But it was a commentary on the Foster's letter that he had printed as well. 
So again, some really good Mormon history. That quote is in some places, but the whole story that it was in commenta a commentary on a letter that was published right above it gets really brushed over. So it was really fun to, to write the history of Warsaw and dig up some of these things and, and bring it to more mainstream light. Again, it's, it's kind of hidden in some, a book or two, but the whole story is. So let's just talk a little bit about um, the uh, fate because a lot of this has been written about, you know, the martyrdom and everything that happened at Carthage Jail and everything like that. Just talk a little bit. Now, there there were some stories about the fate of some of the people who participated in right. the, uh, killing. Ludlow wrote the book, The Fate of the Martyrs yeah. of the Prophet Joseph Smith. And just talk a little bit about maybe some stuff that you uncovered or just okay. interesting things that you learned. Well, after the martyrdom, the sheriff put together a list of, you know, 100-plus people that they thought was in the mob. It's not really known exactly who everybody was. We, we definitely know some were because they, they bragged about it. In fact, in their obituaries, in the Warsaw newspaper, 20, 30, 50 years later, you know, um, so-and-so, you know, Caldwell's brothers were, were one. Uh, you know, they participated in the Mormon War. and They wore it as a badge of honor. But we don't know everybody who was in the mob. And so it's really hard to say for sure. And there's some glorified stories. Quite frankly, the people uh, who stood trial really had a mixed uh, outcome later on in life. When they uh, were acquitted, and hopefully we can talk a little bit about the trial, uh, it allowed them to lead normal lives and remove the stigma, even though everybody in the county knew that they were involved. They even admit, admitted, in fact, Right after the martyrdom, Thomas Sharp comes back a week or two later and publishes a 32-page pamphlet defending the community. And he says, he starts out by saying, we're a law-abiding community, and we regret, and we still regret, that we had to take extrajudicial action to get rid of this problem. The murders. Okay. So... Thomas Sharp goes on and becomes, when, the, when 1853, when Warsaw becomes an official city, he becomes the first mayor and he serves three terms, becomes a superintendent of school, becomes a judge. Okay. And, and he stood trial for judicial <laughs> activities. Uh, Mark Aldridge, like I said, ended up being the mayor of Tucson and he ended dirt broken and, mm. and, and with some Ill illegitimate children back there and mm. he left a wife and child in Warsaw and his life was kind of a mess. Hot mess. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the, the judge, John Young, who, who presided over the trial, he ended up being in an insane asylum, insane asylum in Washington, D.C. and he died literally crazy. Wow. So it's there's some truth to some of the things mm -hmm. but you know Mixed, mixed bag. It's mixed bag. Well, you brought up the trial. You wanted to talk a little bit about that. Maybe yeah. kind of give us some highlights and observations uh, that you came across in your research. Okay. Again, Dallin Oaks, masterful work, and he was able to get access to records as a, as a student at uh, the University of Chicago Law School. He didn't really necessarily tell the librarians and court record people in Carthage that he was necessarily a member of church or what he was writing, but he did tell them he was a law student, so they gave him carte blanche, and he, he uncovered some pretty cool stuff. But there's, there's some stories that tied Warsaw together that that is maybe brushed over in his and, and a lot of other works because nobody had really done a lot of research. I think it really started the night of the martyrdom, maybe before. There was this 18-year-old girl. Her name is Eliza Jane Graham. And she did the most incredible 
remarkable thing. She was a member of the church. Her family had joined the church and moved to Nauvoo, and her aunt and uncle were not members of the church, and they ran a, a hotel, restaurant, um, very common East Town had one. It was the Warsaw House, and Carthage had a Carthage House, Nauvoo had a Nauvoo House, and, and uh, it, again, it was a hotel and an eatery and things. Well, her aunt and uncle, not members of the church, ran it. Uh, they were called, the, their last name was the Flemings, and it was also called the Fleming Tavern or the Fleming Inn. And uh, Samuel Fleming was back in Boston at the, the time of the martyrdom, but his wife was there and uh, Eliza was there. And there were, it was a, you know, Thursday, Thursday I believe, was the night of the martyrdom. And um, they were just working and pretty soon the mob started coming in and they were wanting to eat. It was about maybe 9 p.m. And so she started serving the mob. Her aunt, aunt was in the back cooking, okay? And nobody knew what had happened. And all of a sudden, um, they start talking about killing the Mormon prophet. Hmm. And she, was, she gathered her composure. This is the first she'd heard of it. Hmm. She started serving the mob, and she made metal notes. You know, Jacob Davis, uh, uh, Grover, um, Aldridge, Thomas Sharp, Levi Williams, all these guys were all bragging. You know, Davis, William Grover said, it was my gun that killed Joseph Smith that night. Well, she categorized and, and, and remembered this distinctly and how, where they said, and this is the, the, the quote, where they said, what they said, and how they said it. And so immediately, like the next day, she, she moves to Nauvoo for her safety and protection. The, the mob really didn't make a connection. She was a member of the church. So the next year when they had the trial in Carthage, Governor Ford had promised the whole state, the whole country, knew, you know, this was big national news, a Mormon prophet murdered. Um, they had a trial, and there were six witnesses for the, the uh, prosecution, and Hosea Lambert had, was the prosecutor, and he went to Nauvoo and tried to get, you know, Taylor, who was there, John Taylor, and Willard Richards, who, who was Brigham Young's first cousin. Most people don't know Willard Richards was Brigham Young's first cousin. They were there at the, the time of the martyrdom, and Brigham Young and the, the, the leaders of the church decided not to go. They said, if Joseph wasn't safe in Carthage, what makes us think that we can go to Carthage, go to the trial, and be safe? wasn't going to happen. Somehow they convinced Eliza Graham to come and they kind of snuck her in because it was a very hostile courtroom. Okay, there was a, the mob had posted about a thousand people outside Carthage to make sure that no Mormons were going to come. There, nine people were originally charged, four scattered, and five stood trial. And the charge wasn't murder. The charge was conspiracy to commit murder. And when at the opening arguments, uh, Hosea Lambert, who was the prosecutor, said to the jury uh, that I don't have to prove who was there and who pulled the trigger. All I have to prove under these charges is who was the, the soul of the movement, who riled up the community to go and, and, and go to Carthage. And it, it was clearly Thomas Sharp. All you had to do was read one of his newspaper. So <laughs> here's what happened. The county commissioners... There, were, there was more than, than one court case held that week in court week. And so the county commissioners picked a jury, uh, a mix of, of people, no Mormons, but perhaps some that were friendly. And there's some dispute, but I have multiple accounts that Thomas Sharp coined the, the term Jack Mormon. 
Have you heard that term? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And back then what it meant was somebody who wasn't a member of the church that was friendly. Yeah. So I sometimes think I should go by the term Jack Norman. You're a Jack Norman in the 1840s cents. Yes, exactly. Now some people have said, well, that term was coined in Missouri. Mm -hmm. I've got lots of evidence that it was coined by Thomas Sharp in, in uh, Warsaw. Mm -hmm. And it simply meant somebody was formed. And they didn't even use the term Jack Norman. They used Jacks. If you were a jack, everybody knew what it meant. Okay. Well, the county commissioners were jacks. They were not Mormons, but they picked a, a random jury, and they were, they were afraid that there was some jacks on the jury. And so Calvin Warren, who at one time defended Joseph Smith, and some other three other attorneys, two or three other attorneys, went to the judge and said, you know what? We think the jury is tainted. We would like to pick a new jury. And, and, and Lambert said, How, this is a properly seated jury. You can't do There's no precedent in American law that you can just take a jury and throw them out. And, and who are you going to replace them with? And the judge sided with the defense. The, they, the, the attorney said, you know, there may not be any precedent for this, but there's never been a trial like this. The judge dismissed the jury and looked out in the crowd. Who did we have in the crowd? All the friends and, and supporters of the people on trial. And so they randomly picked 12 people out of the, out of the crowd. Not, not no Mormon-friendly mm -hmm. uh, uh, people in the crowd. So they seat this, this new jury with 12 people. And then Eliza Graham, now 19, they sneak her in through the, the, the mob and, and everything, and they call on her. And she did a marvelous job on the stand the most hostile courtroom you could imagine. People in the balconies with guns. People walking outside with guns. And they're all supporters of these five people that were standing trial. And she, gave, she told the jury what she saw, who said what, where they sat, and how they said it. She did a phenomenal job. She's, she's my <laughs> personal hero. She ended up... Um, they just, they kind of downplayed and dismissed her testimony, even though it was completely truthful. She ended up moving out to Utah, uh, married a guy that uh, started the University of Utah, and uh, is buried in uh, in, in Wyoming. Um, I ha have good friends that are her descendants, and they they didn't know the story of their great great grandmother. And I think there's a big push in church history to uh, highlight contributions by pioneer women. Eliza Graham needs to be out there with some of the others, Eliza Snow and, and all these others. And she's not yet. And that's one of my goals. 19 years old. 19 years old. Hostile jury and she's testifying on behalf of, of, of against the murders of the prophet Joseph Smith and Hiram. You know, so part of the reason I have this channel is to do bridge building. Um, right. Primarily bridge building within the restoration, but also bridge building with the evangelical community as well as with the restoration as well. And um, one of the things I like about really kind of what this, like if I was an evangelical, I would say what your, this was your ministry, what you did was a yeah. ministry. And part of what you're doing is trying to uh, bring reconciliation and rebuilding bridges with people like in Warsaw. So it has like a historical importance what you've done, but there's also like on some level spiritual healing that you're helping, uh, being used by the spirit, if you will, in your mind, uh, to help facilitate this kind of thing. So 
Talk a little bit about that part of it. The doors were definitely opened. Um, I was able to financially spend the time to do this and, and meet with people there and, t and tell the story. Now, originally, I thought, well, do I do like this super scholarly work with tons of footnotes that people, w the average people person would not read and they'd fall asleep or they wouldn't even buy? And then I thought, well, originally, maybe I'll just write about the Mormon period, 1839 to 1846. And as I got into it, I realized the story of Isaac Gallen needs to be told, and it was way before this, the church got there. And so I decided to write a, a, a third of my book about early Warsaw before the saints got there, um, a, a section about uh, the church being there. And then the third section was written for the people of Warsaw. What happened in their town after the Mormon period? The boom, the bust, what happened during the Civil War, what happened during the Depression, what happened uh, today, modern day. And so it was an outreach program to reach them. And I wrote it so that both members of the church and followers of the Restoration could gather new insights, mostly through the middle section, but the people of Warsaw and the community could also learn what happened? There was a lot of misnomers, they, misunderstandings, they didn't really understand, rumors, well, great-great-grandmother, for one instance, um, they said that, I, I, one lady told me that her great, you know, her grandmother heard from her grandmother that the Mormons in Nauvoo uh, stole stuff from the locals in Warsaw because they were polygamous and they had all these kids that they had to feed. Well, nobody had a lot of kids from polygamy in Nauvoo in 1844. Anybody who was actually practicing polygamy, it was so new, they didn't have large families that they had to steal to feed. A lot of things like that. There was some rumors about, in fact, a, a local little pamphlet published in 1962 for the sesquicentennial for Warsaw had a clip of how the southern part of Warsaw, a town called Warren, almost fell into the hands of the Mormons. And that came from Thomas Gregg's work, which is totally off base. Most people, let me tell you two things. Um, they, the people in Warsaw did try to sell some land to Joseph Smith, and Joseph Smith made a prophecy of Warsaw. I'm not going to get into it. It's in my book. Most people don't know that. And what happened was that the people of Warsaw actually wanted the church to settle there in to, to buy some land. I mean, you know, they're coming out of the recession of depression of 1837. Half the banks, including our own Kirtland Bank, failed in 1837. Mm -hmm. They needed settlers. They wanted people to buy their land, uh, pay taxes, and, and contribute. Um, they, yeah, the, the attitude has definitely changed, and, and it was really a, a, a blessing in my life, I, I did feel that God opened the doors for me to do this, this, this history and, and to, to, to be, be, uh, build the bridges there. <laughs> um, so let me ask you, uh, there have been some attempts in the 80s, they tried to do like a print shop, uh, uh -huh. you know, of, of the Warsaw Signal that fell through. Um, but if I were to go, or somebody from the uh, LDS were to go visit Warsaw, can you give a couple of recommendations of places that they could visit? Absolutely. Um, go to the website of the town of Warsaw and download the free little visitor guide with a map. I would start at uh, Thomas Sharp's house. Now, I mentioned John Wilcox. He was a wealthy former commandant of Fort Edwards, and he built this home at 702 Water Street. 
and uh, it was built in about 1837, 1838, the old stone house. Ironically, and then of course Thomas Sharp inherited that when he married John Wilcox's widow, Isaac Allen's sister-in-law. Um, ironically, that house was made from rock from a, a, a quarry, Sonora quarry, that was actually flooded with the Keokuk Dam in 1913. But that rock was the same rock that was used to build the Carthage Jail. Mm. And so Joseph was around the rock in the Carthage Jail with Thomas Sharp earlier. He had moved at the time of that. He had lived in a house surrounded by the same rock. Yeah. Can't find that anywhere. Yeah. Uh, the mayor at the time that I started my work, Tiffany Murphy, and her husband, Chris Voss, lived in that house. So Thomas Sharp was the first mayor of Warsaw, and then the current mayor of Warsaw lived in the same house. Well, they ended up turning it kind of into bed and breakfast, and they let me stay in Thomas Sharp's bedroom for two nights. Okay. So I would start at that house down on the river, then I'd turn the corner and go up the street to Main Street, and there's a big white house, and last month, for the first time after seven years of arrangements, me and my wife got a three-hour tour of the building. It's the Warsaw House. Okay. Now, the Warsaw House, and we, we there's a lot of evidence the back is the original. It's a, kind of a brick structure, and it was there in the 1830s. And that would have been the Warsaw House that they were meeting in back then? It was a Warsaw House. Now, the front of it was the main part of the Warsaw House. That was torn down in about 1900, and a new... Victorian type building is built out front. So there's kind of two parts. The front is, is new. The back, I believe now, we've got the, the evidence continues to change that that was part where Anne Fleming actually cooked for the mob. And uh, that's for sale. They'd really like to get it in the hands of the church to be historically preserved. Uh, they were going to sell it to me to be a bed and breakfast. I think that would be the coolest thing mm -hmm. to have a Thomas Sharp room and a William Grover. Uh, the five people who stood trial, you come and spend the night. And we'll tip to my wife says, "No, we're into real estate, but we're not that far into real estate. We're not going to do it." Um, but uh, the family us, gave us a tour, and they're hoping that we can find somebody, maybe somebody at the church that would preserve it because it's almost as important as a Carthage jail. So, you know, one of the other things, too, folks, that uh, he talks about in the book is uh, that it's a stunning views of the Mississippi River. There's also a lot of natural beauty there. Uh, people come from all over the country to do, like, bird watching and different types yeah. of things. So it's actually kind of a, like a really cool touristy area to yeah. visit. Sure. And so it's kind of cool just to to bring that out. Now, I just have a quick question for you. Okay. All right. So uh, when do you plan on moving there and running for mayor? Well, I was actually asked. To run for mayor. Did I tell you that? Is that in the book? Okay. No, it's not in the book. So, it's in the Gospel Tangents interview. <laughs> so, yeah, um, as part of my research, I was working with a historical society, and they knew I was working on this, and they said, come and do some, some seminars, do, do a, a presentation. And it's a town of about 1,400 people, 1,420 people, and um, the people there were so kind. And I said, okay, I'll come out, and I'll tell them some research I found. Uh, and uh, the first time, we filled up the biggest room of the high school. And then the second time, 
it was standing room only, and the third time it was like beyond standing room only. And I had just published my book, and I really didn't do it to make any money. Like I said, I'm way down. That that wasn't the, the purpose. And this sweet old lady, after I told them how to pr pr promote their town, they needed signs. They needed people left Carthage, people left um, Nauvoo. They needed to know that there's this third city they should see. Uh, see. And this sweet old lady comes up and grabs my hand. She says, will you move here and be our mayor? Now think about the irony of that. Yeah. The town that murdered the Mormon prophet, yeah. four out of the five people that stood trial were from Warsaw. To ha I told my wife, I said, we got to do this. we got to sell everything. Our kids would hate, you know, our grandkids, that they'd have to come see us in Warsaw. But just think of the irony. Thomas Sharp would roll over in his grave <laughs> if he thought that a Mormon, him being the first mayor, was the current mayor of, of his town. I'd like to buy the Warsaw house and give it to us and would preserve it and uh, you could, your fears could come stay with us, I'll be the mayor. Um, I think it's a charming town. It definitely is, is run down. Uh, they have no tax base, no jobs unless you go to Kia Cook. Um, but I think that the history is really important. I, I fell in love with the town. I fell in love with the people. So, you know, this is a remarkable book. Um, I really enjoy because you actually fill a gap in the historical narrative of the Restoration. Uh, perhaps to you, okay? Thanks. You're an amateur, but you know, my friend Christopher Thomas told me, wrote the Pentecostal Reads of the Book of Mormon, he said, you know, there are so many amateur historians, but he said in the best sense of the word amateur. And I think you are uh, part of this long line of people like Brian Hales and such, people that outside of their venue um, are participating and contributing to the narrative. Now, you know, I find it so interesting. First of all, uh, some people knock some of the, I read, I read a review okay, of this book. Now, I do book reviews, so I'm going to give a little review of that book review. Um, first of all, uh, he kind of says, well, he was really into real estate, so he gets into the nitty-gritty about uh, the real real estate transactions and stuff like that. Well, guess what? If you're a labor historian, guess what you talk about? You talk about the thing that you're interested in and the thing that you know. So props to you for doing that. That's actual legitimate scholarship that you're doing there. And that's a point of emphasis that a labor historian would focus on something different, right? And then, um, so the other thing too is, you know, so I read this review, they posted it on my Facebook page, and this guy who's a librarian, he thinks very highly of himself, by the way, and who knows, maybe I'll have him on as a guest one day, so I don't want to like burn any bridges, and this is not about burning bridges. But he talks about, you know, he was just so like, like so, uh, thought very highly of himself, and he uh, starts talking, uh, in one sense I felt like he was punching down and knew it, and kind of thought that like, oh yeah, and he wasn't punching down by the way. Um, but. <laughs> He brings up that, well, it would have been really nice, he mentions in the book John Hay. It would have been really nice for the audience to know who John Hay was. Well, I, I talked to you about this before. He's got a thing about John Hay in the book, folks. And I asked him, was this added after that review? He said, no, it's been in there all along. He's got pages about talking about John Hay. So let me just make a recommendation to you who do book reviews. Um, read the book. Okay. Read the book, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, then do a book review. And I think it's unfair because people were using that as a source to go after you. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, after your work, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to speak on the behalf of that. And just want I to appreciate you, that. Brian, you know, I appreciate you. You know, I know you're a bishop, which is like, yeah. you know, to me, evangelicals, he's, like, he's a pastor. You're a pastor to a congregation. So you're, you, you are fulfilling a spiritual role, you've got your business and everything like that, and you took four years of your life and dedicated it to fill in this gaping hole. Yeah. So somebody like well, this, you. I think we need to honor you. 
So I want to honor you and your work. Well, that makes a lot, Steve. Um, a lot of, you know, I don't wear the title bishop, you know, like some honor, but anybody who's been a bishop knows that it can take your life. 35 hours last week. Yeah. And if people have a career and family and a bishop, they have zero time for anything else. And thankfully that I had my affairs such that I could take the time. Um, I love serving, I, I serve at a, a BYU 117th, BYU-Idaho 117th Ward, work with college students all day, um, students at my house on Thanksgiving and they weren't there for dinner, <laughs> uh, Sunday nights, whatever. I, but I love it. I, I love the availability. I, I love serving. And so it, it was a blessing to write this book. Um, it's got a 4.5 star rating on, on Amazon. Um, I, I got the impression that some people thought, well, an amateur, you know, we got this 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 sandbox here, mm -hmm. and unless you have a PhD, unless you do this and have no other career or life or whatever, you, you can't have legitimate research. And I, I disagree. Everybody's going to have credit critics. You know, that's fine. Uh, read the book if you want. Um, the downloaded copy is really cheap, but it is. I haven't had the time to really upload some of the latest. And, and corrections. We had some new information on the Warsaw House. That's in the printed copy. Um, I give away so many copies. If anybody <laughs> can't afford to buy it, send me a message. I'll give you a free copy. I, I didn't do it for the money. Do it for the money so I just thank wanted you. to um, just thank you so much for coming out to the program. Thank um, you for having me, and thank you for doing it. And it's really fun to come to Florida yeah. and do a live one. And, you know, we can do Zoom anywhere. Yeah, exactly. But come to Bradenton. Yeah, if you're coming on vacation, come on from Utah. Come on by. Maybe we'll do something like this. This is remarkable. We're doing this at the church, an evangelical church. We have a Mormon bishop here, folks. This is what we're all about. We're having these, this dialogue, this conversation. I have two Christian brothers here behind the camera who help set this up. And I want to honor them for doing that, too, because they get this, what this endeavor is all about. One of them is a direct descendant of Apostle uh, Mariner. Morell, right? Merrill. Yeah. yeah. Merrill. First president of the Logan Temple and yeah. served in the Quorum of the Twelve. So that's that's this is the world that we're living Eight in. Eight wives, by the way, <laughs> during wives. the polygamy time. <laughs> so you have thousands of cousins. <laughs> exactly. Right. So uh, I just want to thank everybody. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for coming thank. on the show. Thank you, Steve. Um, I want to remind my viewers to like and subscribe. Make sure you hit the notification button to be informed when a new video is coming out. We're going to get through this pandemic together. Uh, keep the faith and all will be well.